There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up today on Truth and Movies, Wizards, Witches, and Dolly Parton in... The latest Potterverse spin-off, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go, you know, for a cup of tea. Luca Guadagino's horror remake, Suspiria. If she wants to live in a cellar filling bottles with petrol, that's her choice. And for Film Club, the 1980s workplace comedy classic, 9 to 5. I've been chased by swifter men than you and I ain't been caught yet. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. All good. What a way to make a living. It's Michael Leader here in the host seat this week, joined by returning contributor Kelly Weston. Hi. And Simran Hans. Simran, it's been a while since you've been in the contributor's seat here. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm okay. I'm still coming to terms with the crimes of uh, said Grindelwald. I think we'll need to work this through together. Shall we kick off? I'm ready. Let's do it. Address. What's that? A safe house in Paris. Why would I need a safe house in Paris? Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go. You know, for a cup of tea. My brothers... My sisters. The clock is ticking fast. My dream. We who live for truth, for love. The moment has come to take our rightful place in the world where we wizards were free. Join me. Or die. Yes, Eddie Redmayne is back as the magic zoologist Newt Scamander, who is enlisted by youngish Albus Dumbledore, that's Jude Law, <laughs> to assist in his efforts to thwart the dark wizard Grindelwald, played by Johnny Depp. At the end of the last movie, Grindelwald was safe in custody, but he soon escapes and flees to Europe, gathering his forces in Paris, which is where uh, Newt follows him. So the question with this film is, can, are we invested yet? This is this new J.K. Rowling Wizarding World franchise. Kelly, I have a feeling you were quite invested. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I came out of the screening with you saying that I loved it <laughs> emphatically. Um, to answer your question, I wasn't particularly invested in the spinoff, even though I'd grown up um, with the Harry Potter books and I read those books. I've read them several times. 
but I think the first film took a really long time to uh, find its footing, um, and it's just a bit more messy. This one, maybe you two will disagree with this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on, but it does at least feel a lot more directed. And I think that there are some fascinating themes at play, um, and the visual effects are really good. I mean, Johnny Depp plays Gerlert Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some you know, controversy on how to say that, but essentially he escapes uh, in this really, really beautifully done sequence at the beginning of the film. Um, and there are a lot of sequences like that that I think are really great and sort of, you know, evocative of the magic that we come to expect from, you know, the Potterverse. So I was happy. Simone, are you in the pocket for the Potterverse? Um, you know, I like to think of myself as a low-key Potterhead. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up with those books as well. I mean, you know, we're all kind of similar age and you can't escape those films if, if you grew up then. And I, I've read them all and I've watched all the films. Mm. But I think there's something going on with this sort of new spin-off universe that is not really clicking for me. And I think maybe it's got something to do with the fact that J.K. Rowling has written the screenplay for mm. these last two films, mm. whereas uh, she was, I think, only a consultant or sort of a collaborator on the earlier ones. And I think she is kind of doing the thing that she's doing in the books. There's loads of kind of backstory. There's loads of intricate plot. There's lots of sort of um, world building. These are all the things that she's great at. But I don't think it translates mm. at script level. I really found it just sort of so overwhelmingly convoluted and kind of, Kelly, say you thought it was direct, but for me it just took a while to get there. There were certain sort of plot threads that I really didn't care about. Mm. Um, Queenie and Jacob, they could just go, to be honest. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So many of these character threads here that are returning from the previous film that maybe... Exactly. I, I, I didn't really feel that was pushing the story forward either in a sort of emotional stakes way or in a world building kind of magic way you know I nearly spoiled it there but um, there is a a moment when certain characters are sort of forced to pick a side Mm. and I really felt like you didn't feel the stakes Mm-hmm. in that moment or at least I didn't mm-hmm. I mean I think Queenie and Jacob are sort of there to continue this theme of family and I think Harry Potter has always in a sense been about that it's about this orphan boy who is essentially searching for some place where he belongs and his parents you know have, have been killed and uh, the family that he is with don't really care about him and I think that thread sort of continues in a really really interesting ways in this film um, so as you say without spoiling it families are broken apart and I think part of uh, of what's going on with both Credence, who is looking for his heritage after finding out in the last film that he's a wizard, um, and also with a, a new character that's been introduced, Zoe Kravitz, plays Lita Lestrange. These two characters are kind of twinned in a way, in a sense that they are thematically like the film is sort of exploring what it means to belong to a family, to a tribe, to a nation. Um, and there are all sorts of, I think, really interesting um, you know, potentially, maybe I'm giving it a lot, but like diasporic implications. Mm. Um, And it really sort of, I think at the very least, the film doesn't handle it well all the time. It is quite clumsy and I think sometimes heavy handed with its allegory and all of the parallels to World War II. But I do think it is sort of grappling in in a really serious way with what a figure like Grindelwald represents, which is the breakdown of a family and all the ways that we sort of like, you know, 
connect to people that don't always look like us. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that sounds a bit hokey, but I'm a very sentimental person, so I, I fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the set pieces for a minute? Because yeah. I feel like there were some of them where I was watching and I was like, I've seen this before. I've seen this in other Harry Potter movies right. before. Okay. There is a moment when they're in the... So this movie is mostly set in Paris and they go to the the Paris version of the Ministry of Magic and there's a moment when they go into the archives um, and uh, Lita Lestrange is, is looking for something to do with her family and it's sort of these like tall moving shelves that really reminded me of the bit in The Order of the Phoenix when they're mm. looking for the prophecy. Yeah. Um, like the, the sort of... There's something similar going on in, in that set piece and then... The opening sequence is sort of Grindelwald's uh, escape, and that really sort of reminded me. I, I think again of Order of the Phoenix mm-hmm. when um, they're sort of I'm I'm blanking, is it but they're serious? sort of yeah, serious yeah. and sort of like also the moment when they sort of have that big set piece with the I think it's the Dementors maybe yeah. on mm-hmm. like um, the Millennium Bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like there were there were some things that I felt it was kind of cribbing from itself and, and not in a way that felt self-referential. It's interesting because this is a film where it's it's a prequel, it's a sequel, it's packed with fan service yeah. and this is where you start realising this, this Fantastic Beast franchise is opening up into this expanded universe and trying to do the, the Star Wars thing or but the Marvel of, Cinematic Universe thing. Some of that works though. I yeah. mean like there are some fun bits. I was laughing about it in the movie. There is a cameo from Nicholas Flamel yes. and <laughs> lest you forget who he is you get a direct shot of the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah I, I thought that was funny. Very weirdly he's played by Alejandro Jodorowsky's son. Uh, in very heavy old man makeup. He's only ever been in his dad's films. And now he's suddenly in this now major... Now he's breaking out. Now he's breaking out as Flamel. He's here. Uh, and the I, award goes to. <laughs> I think it's also interesting to note that Jude Law's performance is, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's a quite understated Dumbledore. And there are a lot of, you know, the way that he speaks and even the way that he, like, carries himself that is very, like, evocative of, of Michael Gambon's performance, I think. So that was really interesting to see in this film and I think all of the well I think some people <laughs> will, will disagree with me uh, re, you know Eddie the Redmayne and, and being given in the studio right now is aggressive <laughs> So no, you're pro-Redmayne. I'm pro-Redmayne. And I think that he he was not the best in the last film, but I mm-hmm. think he's just been better directed here by David Yates, who is getting, is shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> I think there are some good performances in this. Uh, let's, let's talk about Eddie, because I yeah. think if there's something that's fundamentally broken at the heart of this franchise, for me, it's, it's Newt Scamander himself, who uh, is meant to be a sort of reluctant hero, mm. but he's doing nothing but heroic things all the way through this movie. He's He says he doesn't want to be an aura, he doesn't want to pick sides, but he very clearly picks sides early on in this film. But Eddie Redmayne as well, this ticky, n- nervous energy performance. I love an around. awkward man. I love an awkward soft boy. <laughs> For me, Eddie Redmayne's performance is stolen from Matt Smith's performance of the Doctor in Doctor Who. It's, it's very Doctor Who, isn't it? Very it's, Sherlock as well in times, I think. It is a Stephen Moffat performance. <laughs> yes. And to be honest, I think Matt Smith does it better. I think there's more technicality. I think there's more personality. Listen, I don't get Eddie Redmayne. First of all, he's never been in a good film. Ooh. <laughs> Just think about it for a few seconds. I think he's in... Exactly. One good film. <laughs> the crimes of We're not including this, right? I just find he lacks charisma. Mm-hmm. And I found his sort of 
bumblingness so unbearably mannered mm-hmm. it was almost distracting but I will concede that I think Jude Law is fantastic in this film yeah. uh, excuse the use of the word fantastic <laughs> um, it's the voice that really really got it for me yeah. because Jude Law is is not you know always good at doing <laughs> accents um, don't know if anybody remembers uh, his attempt at South African in Contagion uh, no and we forget it on purpose so. <laughs> But um, but yeah, he's really subtle in this, and yeah. um, I I found myself sort of watching him and thinking I would just watch this film. I'm not really super interested in a lot of the other threads. And you do wonder whether the film it's setting up a franchise where Dumbledore is going to be at the heart of it again, in the way that he was in the, at the heart of the previous. Well, apparently, franchise. there's three more films. Three so. more coming, and we're going to have to talk about the the question of Johnny Depp, a controversial yeah. casting choice at the time. One of these examples of J.K. Rowling being one of the figures growing a generation of people who cared about social justice issues, and now is being pulled up by those fans for maybe questionable casting choices, etc. But how is Johnny Depp as Grindelwald in this film, Kelly? Uh, he's fine <laughs> I, I could have done without him I honestly was I was one of those people who would have preferred if Colin Farrell had, mm. had stayed because I mean I don't think this is a spoiler to say that Grindelwald has been set up as a kind of wizard type Hitler figure mm. um, and you know there are certain choices that they make with his his, uh, his physicality and, and, and his features that I think you know sort of point to this, you know, analogy. And you don't necessarily need him to be Aryan looking if, mm. if that's the point that you're trying to make. And I honestly think just Colin Farrell was great in the first movie. The only thing that I, I liked about the first Fantastic Beast was Colin Farrell's performance. So okay. um, he was greatly missed by me. And to be honest, in the, in the wake of all the money in the world, however you feel about that particular film, there is really no excuse at this point to keep someone... Simran, thoughts on Johnny? I don't have particularly sort of strong feelings mm-hmm. about this. I don't think he's very good or very memorable in the film. But also I think that's perhaps a product of, of the film having so many characters mm-hmm. yeah. that it is actually quite difficult to focus on whoever is on screen at the time. I mean, Catherine Waterson, she's barely in it. Mm-hmm. Ezra Miller is sort of meant to be one of the central characters, but he gets about four lines. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that even though it is the crimes of Grindelwald, he's not actually in that many scenes. Mm-hmm. I, also, I, I don't think it's a spoiler. I don't think we see any crimes. <laughs> we He... Uh, intent. Intent to commit crimes. <laughs> that's, that's his crime. With, you know, Criminal answers intent. on a postcard if, if any listeners see this film. Do we see any crimes of Grindelwald in this film? In the, in the last you know, film... breaking out. You can't break out of prison. That's, that is a pretty big crime. In but in the last film, he was introduced to this figure who was doing you know, huge-scale terrorism around the world, mm. uh, you know, attacking human, the, the nomad smuggle population, etc. I, yeah. I guess the way to sort of... Think think about this character right is um to think about how the books set him up as a precedent for Voldemort right. mm-hmm. and so you're meant to be so terrified of this character because this is something that has happened cyclically in history and has happened before and he doesn't have the sort of malevolence that Rafe Fiennes managed to kind of convey as Voldemort and maybe a different actor could have done that job better it's I've, it's difficult mm-hmm. because really I don't know how I feel about the cinema activism that works mm-hmm. in the way that you do or don't pay for your cinema ticket based on whether you do or don't support the politics of the people mm. in the art. I'm not sure 
how much that is is really doing and how much a, a viewer can sanction that by buying their ticket. I don't know. I don't have a clear position on that. I do think that, you know, with the way it was teed up in the last film, there was the option to not have Johnny Depp in this film, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, what Kelly was saying, we could have kept Colin Farrell. I think arguably that would have also made for a better film. Interesting. You talk about performance, but it is the the way the character is presented. You, you know, Kelly, you mentioned he's set up as the almost wizarding world Hitler, but he does make grand statements, big speeches. Mm. He's not an angry figure. He's quite an internalised, quiet, calculating figure. And so Johnny Depp isn't really pushing the boat out in terms of performance. Most of the performance yeah. is done by the hair and the makeup. He's wearing a sort of an, a, an eyepiece type yeah. thing, a contact he's lens. Got a weird he's eye, he's which... got this sort of shock of blonde hair, mm. big open collar, looks very much like '76 era Bowie to me. But there's much been made of J.K. Rowling and her inspirations and influences that she's cribbed from from over the years. And I think that now that the fantastic beast landscape is being shown in this film, I want to push forward a a theory as to what the text is for this universe. Please. I think it's X-Men. I think Mm. she's been watching the X-Men movies. So we have... (laughs) No spoilers. A sort of demagogic Grindelwald here who is appealing to a marginalised minority of wizards saying we need to rise up, we need to subjugate the the human masses who will never trust us or believe us or, or value us. And My who is boy. his uh, nemesis, a professor at a school for the gifted? Oh, who used to be his best friend. Oh, Whoa. Mind blown. <laughs> so, yeah, please uh, check in the post, JK. Uh. <laughs> But let's wrap this up. Let's put our scores on this. So, Kelly, I'm going to come to you first. This is in anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. In anticipation, this was a one because I did not like the first film. And as I said, I really would have preferred if Colin Farrell had been in this film as opposed to Johnny Depp. So I would just give it a one in terms of enjoyment. Mm -hmm. It gets... I'm sorry, it gets four stars from me. Okay, Kelly is lying. (laughs) She was on, like, floating on air when we came out of that film. That is definitely downgrading it, and I don't understand why. You love this movie. I'm going to give it a strong and emphatic four. Okay, strong and emphatic. Okay. Um, and uh, rewatch. Um, I'm definitely giving it, you know, another four because okay. I will probably rewatch it. I might buy a ticket. Okay. <laughs> Simran? I think um, I'd probably say my anticipation for this was like a two, mm-hmm. you know, indifferent. Enjoyment, I'd probably give it a three, Mm -hmm. you know. I can't lie, like a part of my brain synapses lit up when the Harry Potter, (laughs) like um, Hogwarts theme starts playing when we get to go to Hogwarts, you know. Um, That did uh, set off something (laughs) in my lizard brain. Um, But, you know, thinking about it again and talking about it here, it's got to be a two for me. I'd agree with you, I think two, three, two for me. Anyway, we're done with wizards. Up next, we have some witches in Suspiria. (laughs) So director Luca Guadagino follows Coin by Your Name with this remake of Dario Argento's landmark supernatural horror. Dakota Johnson stars as a gifted dancer attending a prestigious dance academy in 1970s Berlin. But is it just a front for a coven of witches? One of the students has already gone missing, but here's Tilda Swinton's Madame Blanc with a few theories about where she's gone. If she's gone into hiding, she wouldn't have told us, would she? She would have told someone. We know that she had dealings with people who are interested in targets. And we know there was another bomb in Kreuzberg last night. She wouldn't do that. She wanted to live her beliefs. Who doesn't admire that? And there's so much to change in the world. If she wants to live in a cellar filling bottles with petrol, that's her choice. 
And who won't be heartbroken if she's shot by police? In a cellar with bottles of petrol, that's a, a normal Friday night for me. Simran, Suspiria, this remake, of course, a, a very cult classic film that they're working from. Were you excited for this after calling by your name, etc.? Well, I have to uh, put my hand on my heart and confess that I haven't actually seen the original Suspiria. Okay. So that's the perspective that I'm coming from. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. not looking at it necessarily as a remake, but as a movie in and of itself. I am pretty mixed on Guadagnino. I quite like A Bigger Splash. I think it's the uh, sort of mm. Italian Nancy Myers movie that we all deserve. <laughs> I mean that as a you know, serious compliment. But I don't really like Call Me By Your Name. I, th- mm. I think it's okay. I, I, you know, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but it didn't feel moved by it in the way that a lot of my friends and colleagues did. So I would say my sort of you know, anticipation for this was middling, but I'm a huge Dakota Johnson fan. Right. So I was always sort of up for watching it for her. And um, I think she's pretty amazing in this movie. Do you want to recap the plot or shall I? Uh, well, you go for it. What's <laughs> uh, the route into this? So we have Dakota Johnson, she's coming so into yeah, this. Dakota Johnson is a, a sort of all-American Mennonite um, from Ohio. She lands in Berlin and she, um, you know, wants to be a dancer. And I think what's interesting is that they've sort of swapped the dancing from the original film from a ballet school to a sort of contemporary mm. dance school. And, and obviously the um, the timeline has been updated as well. So the original film came out in 1977, I yeah. believe. Mm. And that's the year that this new film is set. So, you know, it's kind of interesting for its period details. And I think the clothes are incredible. Mm. And yeah, so we have Dakota Johnson sort of as our, our in into this world. And, and she's got this face. And I just think the only way to describe her expression is inscrutable. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't read her. You can't tell whether she's sort of, things are going on behind her eyes or she's sort of naive, whether she's pretending and she has power or whether she's genuinely confused. And I, I just find that really interesting to watch. Um, and I, yeah, I've never really seen her physicality used like this. I think the choreography is incredible. And uh, those dance sequences, I could just watch like 10 of them in a row. Kelly, so you're a horror fan. We spoke about yeah. horror on this podcast before. Did, mm-hmm. Is this a horror film? Is this a satisfying horror film? Uh, no. I, <laughs> I think, uh, well, I'm a huge fan of the original. And so in part, I think maybe I was also in a position to already be very critical of this film. I'm also, a, I don't know that I'm a super fan of Dakota Johnson, but I'm very invested in seeing her do well because I like her and I think she seems like a nice person. Person. So I yeah, want good okay. things for her. Yeah. Um, and I'm also invested, weirdly enough, in, in, in Mia Goth. So I was really excited to see this film, you know, in any case, despite being a, a huge fan of um, the Argento version. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't think Guadagnino knows what he wants to do. There are a lot of disparate themes going on, and they never really cohere. Um, So there's a a huge, um, you know, political undercurrent to this version that that wasn't in the original, which is fine because I do think, you know, from the outset, this film makes it clear that it's not trying to be a remake or an Mm. adaptation. It's trying to, like, sort of chart its own course, which is, is fine. It's admirable. But I just don't think what Guadagnino seems to want to do with it, you know, sort of merging the occult with, you know, the political condition of Berlin in the mid to late 1970s, 
ever really, you know, interweaves seamlessly. And so it becomes really overlong. The film is, is divided into six acts and an epilogue. And it's two hours and 30 minutes long. Which it's is too much. an hour longer than the Dario Argento exactly. film. Exactly, um, yeah. It still shares the same specific plot of that. Of right. An outsider <clears throat> coming into this world, creepy goings-on happen. Mm. There are, you know, manipulations behind the scenes and so on and a sort of Nancy Drew sequence of finding what's in the basements etc but all this extra stuff um, we have as you heard in the clip this political backdrop of mm. Berlin in the late 70s I mentioned Bowie in the last segment but yeah. the dance academy is literally standing by the, the Berlin Wall and this sense of uh, divided selves, divided cities, divided uh, you know, companies, the dance company itself has yeah. a sort of schism down the heart about who's, who's going to lead, who's going to be the director and then this mysterious figure that you never see who you know plays a part later on in the film it's yeah. it's funny isn't it it becomes this maximalist film it really lives or dies on whether you are transported by the horror or the the, the freakiness the trippiness of it all Simon, did that work for you at all for me it didn't really work as a horror film mm -hmm. I, it's weird it's, i understand that it's sort of baggy and that there are a lot of problems with the pacing of this film one of my notes when i was watching it was like this is too long, but it's weird, and I'm not bored. Okay. Right. Um, and so it's one of those weird things where I don't think it, it really all kind of clicks together. And, and yeah, I don't... There's one set piece which is extremely horrifying where Dakota Johnson's character, Susie, is, is doing a, a performance and the scene is cut with another character kind of being hurled against these sort of um, floor-to-ceiling mirrors as her body is articulated by whatever Dakota Johnson is doing. And that scene is so kind of visceral and, mm. and grotesque and graphic. Um, I definitely, you know, I wasn't not affected by it. But I think overall as horror, not sure it's really getting me there. Mm. And likewise, I, unfortunately, I would say I was a bit bored by this. And yeah, I, 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 I saw this at the Venice Film Festival when there really was only there was nothing but hype for this movie, and it, there was a, this anticipation in the air of you know what is this crazy film? The guy who makes these wonderful lavish films like I Am Love, uh, it's kind of by name and uh, you know, a bigger splash, etc. How is he going to? take to Suspiria what's he going to do with it it didn't really take me there and that's it's a personal response isn't it one thing we haven't mentioned is Tilda Swinton plays two, at least two roles in this film so uh, when I saw it I didn't know this okay um, and so I just was like oh okay I didn't even think. But now, looking back and kind of like re-watching it in my head, I'm like, of course, these prosthetics were terrible. How did I miss this? <laughs> so this is a whole added plot thread that isn't in the original, where it's mm. this older German uh, psychiatrist, psychologist who, right. who uh, picks up the trail himself to figure out wh whether there are witches at the dance academy. And, and crucially, he's the only male character in the film, really. Mm -hmm. That's true. That is very true. But yeah. and, and it is Tilda Swinton in old man makeup, mm. but not just old man makeup, being credited as an old man called Lutz Ebersdorf, who this is his only role. He's gone in, done one, and retired. Yeah. Uh, Kelly... I, I don't understand why they did this. <laughs> I mean, Tilda's not the performance itself, but, you know, making it this whole, I guess, PR thing. I'm, and I'm not even... I don't know what the purpose of that was. But Tilda Swinton is as per usual um, incredible in this um, I have to say I would be like you to, to me one of the things is that I was quite bored by it it wasn't just that it, it was over long it was just like I couldn't find anything in it to really like sink you know any hooks into I couldn't 
I didn't really care about any of these characters, but I do like watching Tilda Swin on screen and watching her as this man. You know, I knew that coming in that she was playing, you know, three roles. And mm-hmm. when she plays that character, I think she, like, completely, you know, as Simran says, like, you know, you wouldn't just, like off the top of your head think oh this is is this is Tilda Swinton playing um this man and I do think the one thing that I will give I guess the spirit is that it's doing this really fascinating thing with the body and what it mm. means to how one sort of derives power from your body so all of the magic in the film seems to be very linked to the corporeal and how women move um, and I think it's interesting con- to consider that Tilda Swin is, is here playing this man and this older man as well and so much of her performance is really physical and really quite interesting to watch I think if you're going in at knowing like oh this is Tilda Swinton on screen because it is I think it's very believable one thing that you know I'd like to say about this the fact that it's all women mm. is just this was one of the my sort of big problems with the film is that I feel like it was so desperate to telegraph its own politics yeah. in a way that actually felt embarrassing to me <laughs> there's a, a scene where one of the female teachers literally screams at this male psychiatrist, you need to listen to women. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that's the <laughs> takeaway of the film then. You know, you don't need to tell us, literally. Just show us, you mm. know. I think, you know, my other kind of bugbear with this film is, is, you know, we've talked a little bit about the structure. For me, I'm kind of like, I was sort of interested in the mood of the piece um, for about two-thirds of it, but the final act... I think just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Which should be this great yeah. release of freaky, bloody, twisted imagery, right? Exactly. And did that not work for you? No, I just think it feels out of step with the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. It feels sort of too overblown in a way that doesn't feel earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I didn't really feel catharsis. I was just like, I hate this. Okay. Well, <laughs> let, let's go through our own catharsis here. Simon, I'm going to come to you first for your scores. So I, I guess I, I would maybe anticipate this as a four. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoyment, probably a three. And, you know, looking back on it, I think I'd probably give it... A, I don't know. I feel like I want to I wanna <laughs> give it a... I want to give it a three. Mm-hmm. I want to give it a three. Kelly? It was fine. Uh, in anticipation, uh, I think it was pretty high for me. So I would say about a three. And enjoyment, it's it's... <laughs> it's a two, I guess, and I feel like a two is being generous, but, you know, it is, like, very beautiful to watch. It's very stylized, and so I appreciate the effort on that level, so I'll give it uh, an enjoyment a two. And uh, in retrospect, like, if, if I, I don't know that I would ever, like, rewatch this, just because it's just so long and to no end, so a one. Oh dear! I, I think for me, I, I you know, I, I like his movies and I like the originals, so I was quite high on this. So probably anticipation four. I really didn't enjoy this. I didn't mention Tom York's score, which I thought was atrocious, I, and I made me realise that Johnny Greenwood is the the yin to the yang. I, I love Johnny Greenwood's scores, and but less so for Tom York. And I'd quite like to rewatch this, so I think I'd say anticipation four, maybe two and two in retrospect. Uh, maybe I'll. When I have two and a half hours free, I'll go back and watch it again. So that was Suspiria. Up next, we have Film Club, a classic from the vaults that's on re-release this week, 9 to 5. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yes? <laughs> About my conduct in the office here yesterday. I'm afraid I got a little carried away. I'd, I'd just like to apologize to you. Oh, don't you worry about it, Mr. Hart. I've been chased by swifter men than you, and I ain't been caught yet. <laughs> Shall we get back to our letter now? Well, yeah. Um, but, well, could you just come over here for a second? I have a little something for you. You know... Ever since I made that stupid mistake about the convention in San Francisco, I... Oh, Mr. Hart, you didn't make a mistake. You see, I'll just have to make sure that the next time I'm asked to go to work at a convention, that there is a convention going on. Dolly Parton there in 9 to 5, a smash hit back in 1980, now back in UK cinemas thanks to the BFI and their comedy genius season. Parton stars alongside Jane Fonda and Lee Tomlin as three colleagues whose dreams of overthrowing their chauvinistic boss become all too real. She also, of course, sings the unshakable earworm of a theme song. Um, should we? No, let's not. Let's not <laughs> sing along now. But Simon, I'll come to you first. You wrote a great piece for Little White Lies um, a year or so ago, two years ago yeah, now? Yeah, I think about two years ago. It was when I was working with um, the Feminist Film Collective, Bechdel Test Fest. And we screened this film in a double bill with Working Girl. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of thinking about how these sort of career women in these 80s movies changed from the top end of the 80s with something like 9 to 5 to the back end of it with Working Girl and I think 80, 88, 88 or 89 yeah, like that. Uh, but there's a great quote I have from your piece here, you, you call 9 to 5 a utopian socialist feminist fantasy and, and could you please unpack that um, <laughs> Sure. And, and part of the film's enduring appeal well, I think what is interesting about this film is it is a fantasy, right? Um, it's these three women who have this awful boss and they kind of club together. They get high, they cook up a plan. Then they think like this plan will never work. And then by sheer accident and good luck, they end up being in a situation where they've poisoned their boss <laughs> and they string him up in a room and this weird con- like sort of S&M style <laughs> contraption, it looks like. And then they go to work with without him and change the workplace. So it's kind of taking this idea of sort of prankishness and anarchy and making the choice to, uh, instead of, you know, they're just like messing around at work when he's not there, they actually implement a daycare and they have job shares and they like redo the office so it's more like pleasant to work in. And it's kind of, you know, it's meant to be satirical. I don't think you're meant to sort of take it in a literal sense, but it's this idea that, 
if women didn't have a certain type of man sort of presiding over them, then maybe we would be able to work more efficiently mm-hmm. and we could work less. And it, to me, it's a middle finger to capitalism. <laughs> um, and uh, it's also so funny. It's mm-hmm. hilarious, yeah. And and that, I mean, Dolly Parton, uh, who I love, yeah. <laughs> is incredible in this. And you mean, that clip that, you know, we just listened to is is just like the perfect embodiment of that, of her just being like, I've been chased by faster men than yeah. you. <laughs> oh, she's so great in this Um, and I think you know also just to sort of piggyback off of what you were saying it's quite easy to sort of like write this film off in a sense or think of it as a kind of just like shallow wish fulfillment not that you were saying that but it is easy to just I think like you know sort of overlook it but it actually is doing something I think really complex and thinking about the ways women sort of survive the patriarchy as well so there's a female character who essentially is the kind of you know henchman of the awful boss mm. and she's the one who's like spying on the other women and you do hate her but I, I also feel like she is in a sense a kind of sympathetic character because mm. all of these women have to sort of find a space and, and a way of like you know surviving in this sort of capitalist patriarchal environment <laughs> yeah for me I hadn't seen this film before the surprise for me was just seeing Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin mm-hmm. uh, two two actors that you know Dolly Parton goes down the Dollywood route and becomes something of a cartoonish character of herself she's so good in this yes. but then Lily Tomlin is having so much fun with the script with the sight gags she's mm-hmm. in complete control of her comic talents in the way that I guess back in the 70s she was a co- comedy superstar yeah. whereas it's taken you know Grace and Frankie and so on for it to come back into yeah. the in, into the public consciousness um but it is quite a broad comedy mm. in the second half mm. um the f- I, th- I think for me it's that first half where it's just these three women finding a connection as you say someone getting high together and laughing yeah. there when they get high there's a, a really amazing sequence where they all kind of have their individual fantasy about <laughs> how they'd like to kill their boss um and jane fonda's character gets to she sort of imagines it as a western mm-hmm. with herself as a as a sort of john ford character and then we have Lily Tomlin's is almost a Snow White yeah, yeah, Lily, yeah. animated sequence. Amazing. Yeah, so L- Lily Tomlin is is like Snow White, and um, she sort of has her little dress on, and she just imagines being a cute Disney character who poisons her boss. And then the Dolly Parton one is. Uh, she, 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 she hog ties him, yeah. doesn't she? So um, maybe I'm remembering wrong. The, the Jane Fonda they, one is like a film yeah. noir. Yeah. Because she shoots him. And they, it's, it's the way that all of their dreams are sort of Actualized, e- echoed yeah. uh, later in the film. Mm-hmm. So All these films are sort of, sorry, I'm sort of rambling a bit now, but all of these three different sort of dream sequences are visually quite different. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite ambitious that this broad comedy is sort of having fun with these other intertextual references and being playful with how things are presented and shot as well as how each of these characters' interiority differs as well. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting to think about, I mean, this film was, you know, it was 1980. They are putting forward themes that women are still talking about today. Yeah. You know, childcare, equal pay, sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, so, you know, it's a comedy, but in a really tragic way, it's still quite resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of women will still, like, find it funny 
for that reason. I mean, this is, is quite, it's taking serious issues and sort of, you know, turning them around. But uh, yeah, I just, uh, to me, that's, I, I think it's important to flag that women are still like talking about these issues. They haven't been resolved. Well, it's all of their workplace policies they bring mm. in that still seem so relevant. And it's the, the very cutting punchline at the end of the movie that the chairman of the board who says, oh, all these yeah. changes are amazing. Maybe not equal pay, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. still fighting for that, of course. The BFI presented this as part of a, not only Comedy Genius, but a, a focus on Jane Fonda as a star. Where does this fit for us in terms of Jane Fonda? She produced this role herself, created mm. the, the opportunity for herself. I wouldn't have seen her really as a comedy actress, but then I, I'm not really mm. familiar with most of her work. I think she, in this film, maybe I didn't uh, realise that she had uh, produced the film as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why she's kind of takes a backseat out mm-hmm. of the three women. She was a sort of, not a lesser role, but a kind of less prominent, less sort of funny, um, less mouthy role than the other two. She really lets her, her co-stars shine, mm-hmm. which I think is um, is really nice. Any final statements on 9 to 5? A resounding recommendation for the three of us? Just love it. Yeah. <laughs> Just watch it. Yeah. It's a romp. It's a good use of your time versus some other films we've discussed. <laughs> Maybe that's the film to watch this week. Maybe, or, or maybe Kelly would d- beg to differ with Grindelwald. There are two. There are two good films to watch this week. But 9 to 5 for you. Uh, yeah, 9 to 5 is, is my film of the pod. <laughs> so next week, The Girl in the Spider's Web, the latest uh, Elizabeth Salander movie. Um, and then Shoplifters, the Hirokazu Koreeda Cannes Prize winning family drama. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I love that movie. And Film Club is a Japanese classic. It's Yasujiro Ozu's Tokyo Story. Go and check that out and let us know what you think at lwlies.com slash podcast or at Truth and Movies on Twitter or at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. That just leaves me time to say thank you so much, Simran, for joining me today. Thanks um, for having me. Where can the listeners find more of your writing, your work? Um, you can find me by typing my name plus The Guardian, and uh, <laughs> then you can read my, my reviews there. And I'm on Twitter as at heavier underscore things. Where does heavier things come from? It's way. a long story. Okay, <laughs> too long for the part. We don't have time. <laughs> Kelly? Uh, yeah, you can find my work at Sight and Sound, uh, The Skinny, and uh, my Twitter is now in, in honor of A Star is Born, Sam <laughs> Elliott's Manly Truck Tears, or Kelly Weston on Twitter. <laughs> Brilliant. I think we can all get behind Sam Elliott's Tears. <laughs> Thank you so much both for joining me today. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.